DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, and we're brought to you in part by Christian Roberts Mortgage. If you're going to work with an expert for your next home loan, you need to connect with the most referred lender in Utah, Christian Roberts Mortgage. They specialize in jumbo loans. We're joined right now by Aaron Roderick, BYU's offensive coordinator. Coach, good morning. Good morning. Are we listening to the blues because of the jazz loss? Is that, <laughs> is that why we're opening with the sure, blues? Sure, absolutely. Why not? We go with that. We open with whatever Jake feels like opening with in the moment. No, actually, it's it's good. The Jazz lose, and we don't have to dwell on it. We can talk about football. <laughs> yeah. So except except we one. got a guy who's a big-time Jazz fan and a Utah lifer who's taking it about as well as all the rest of the fans. Yeah, that was a hard one, man. That was. That oh, was... yeah, for sure. You grew up here, right? You grew up in the Bountiful area, so you've yeah. probably been a Jazz fan your whole life. Whole life, I, yeah. I, yeah. Other than a few years I lived in Illinois when I was a kid, I've been a Jazz fan from forever and it's all right you know, we'll, we'll tap into your jazz knowledge it's a little bit like being now. a red Sox fan before they finally broke <laughs> oh, through yeah, you know no, it's, right. it's kind of getting that way or, or, or cubs fan before they broke through mm-hmm. it's, so yeah, sure. there was a lot of discussion on twitter is this I, and i've got my own opinions on this is this the worst loss ever is it top five is it top ten it stings right yeah. it looks like it's wide open to the title Kawhi leonard is out yeah. it's two two so it definitely hurts yeah, but no, are there other losses from your youth that sting more? Well, I, I can't remember one specifically, but I don't, you can't call that worst loss ever. I mean, you still got still got a great chance to win the series. You got to got to go. Yeah, get that's a, what I was trying to tell go him. Get a, go get a win. Just yeah. go get one win. You, a lot and, of Jazz fans in their car just shaking their head right now. That's yeah, not no, happening. It's, you can't rule it out because I, my line of thinking, A Rod, was that these Clippers minus Kawhi collectively probably play the best game they've ever played. Yeah. Now they got to recreate it. Maybe they can. Maybe they uh, can. These guys are pros, man. It's a tough. It's a tough league, and they're evenly matched teams. Even if Mike Conley doesn't play, you, they still won twice without him. Get, with when Kawhi was playing, so I yeah. just, just got to go down there and get a win. It's, Debbie Downer. It's, it's one, <laughs> one win, and then see what happens. <laughs> All right, BYU football, what people really want to hear from Aaron Roderick, although they enjoy commiserating with you. So, obviously, it always talks <laughs> to the quarterback or yeah. placing the quarterback. And you're not going to tell us now, yeah. even though we want you to. <laughs> but do you, in your mind, have you seen some separation? Or are you really, it's a, I don't know what the metaphor is. It's a coin toss. It's a three horses at the top of the uh top of the turn coming home at the derby i don't know what is it yeah i wish i had something new to tell you since the last time you guys asked me this at the end of spring but um it's a there's three guys in the mix and i have a uh, a really i think a good plan for how i'm gonna um distribute the reps early in camp and um they're good players i, I believe in all three of these guys um, but we're we're gonna just give them the reps and make a tough decision. And and you know it's not a it's not an exact science. Sometimes you don't get it right, and sometimes it takes a while to sort it out. So I hope our uh, fans will just pull for whoever's in there and and trust that we're we are doing our best to work our way through it. I'm just upset that uh, the Herm Edwards and the Sun Devils didn't use some illegal tactics to get Conover to stay home. <laughs> that's what's taking me off, man. But that's another story. 
He's he's, he's going to be a good player, he's man. A Chandler guy, and so this is his first uh, foray, basically, yeah. into rec- into uh, competing for the starting job. Whereas Hall and Romney have been down this road before. Correct. And what's amazing to me is in this world of college football, if you don't have the starting job wrapped up by the third practice of your freshman year, you're out the door. And <laughs> you have been able to keep these two guys in the program. And now, from a sense that that, to me, gives me a sense of confidence in that they have been uh, here for a good number of years, so they know what's going on. And so whoever you choose should be able to do a degree anyway, I think, be able to hit the ground running. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, and um, I'm glad you mentioned that they've stayed because uh, I think it says a lot about those two guys right. that they've they've stuck it out here for a, bit, a while now. And, and both of them have had some great moments on the field playing in big games, and some, both of them have had to also pay some dues. Uh, you know, and watch a guy who was playing at a pretty high level, and then both of them have been through some injuries. And so there's a lot there and a lot of reasons why either one of them could have left or, or Jaron could have just gone and played baseball or they could have transferred, and they've, they've stuck it out. And I think it says a lot about their character. It also says a lot about Kalani and the program that he has established. I think our players like playing football in this program. And we don't have we we do not have as many guys transferring out of here as you're seeing at a lot of other places because I think guys like playing for him. So I'm curious how much coaches lay stuff out for guys before you get too far down the road. I went back and was checking, and you can probably check snaps. I've just been checking starts, but the number of starts that second and third string quarterbacks get at BYU, and I've looked at it at Utah too over the last decade. And I haven't broken it down, but we follow Boise State and Stanford. I know they've both gone deep into their quarterback rooms. Yeah. So do you explain that to guys before you get too far down the road in a competition? Because if you tell a guy, hey, you're third string on the depth chart, but hey, the third string, you know, it might yeah. be a little late for that message to yeah. sink in. Do you tell them in spring ball, hey, this is going to sort itself out, but you need to know this. This is how college football works. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Um, approximately, oh, we did a study a few years ago. Uh, uh, and we, I can't remember how many years the study was, but basically there's about 20 teams a year that make it through the whole year with, with one QB. And out of 120 or 130, whatever, yeah, it's 130 now. Yeah. There, there's about 20 a year that make it through the year with just playing one guy. Now, um, the, the, uh, you know, just the chances of needing somebody else to be ready to go is very high. And, and so I've, that's one thing I feel great about, and I think it gives everybody some hope to keep working. And then the other the other thing is that these guys are all still young. I mean, clockwise. I mean, Baylor and Jaron have been here a while, and they're return missionaries, so they're getting older. But they're sophomores. And then you've got Conover, who's a true freshman. Um, he's still got five years to play four. So I think that's another reason to just you know you got to be got to be professional about it and work your way through it and understand that there's still enough time left for all three of those guys to have a great great career. And that that's very possible. That could that could happen. So we know about the phenomenal season last year, and you're a Norm Child disciple, and I can remember Norm one year, you know, he had a way of saying things that uh, kind of put you in your place. And one year the Utes had a good season, and he said basically, I thought I'm paraphrasing, but I think I got it. He said, well, anybody can have a good season. The key yeah. is to have a good program. Yeah. So, you know, you had a couple of mediocre years, some disheartening losses your first couple of years. You break through last season. 
lot of people want to claim schedule, and maybe there's some truth to that, but at the same time, you had all those guys drafted, so the NFL obviously thought you had talent. So the point being, uh, what is there that can convince people that you have a program as opposed to a season? Well, we got to go win this year. You know, we got to put a, we got to put together another great year. And um, you know, I, I don't think it's wise to uh, try to define, you know, or try to come up with a number or or a, a, a you know some some sort of hallmark that defines what a great season is. And, and you know, um, but. We learned in the last year and a half, I would say, we've learned what it takes to win, the process that you go through to win games. And I think that that foundation is there, and I think I have a lot of confidence that we're going to continue to do that and that you're going to start to see that we are a really strong program. Um, But right now I've got our team focused on the process of what it takes to win a game and not thinking about the end result. And if you stack enough of those good days together of doing what you're supposed to do to beat Arizona, and then you just keep stacking those days up, at the end, we'll have a lot of wins. Well, and you damn well better beat Arizona. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> you know who you're dealing with. You know, know why he says that. I do. You just got to blow that off. I, stay mentally focused on the knows, interview and don't worry about little, you know. The listeners can't see my eye roll. Right? <laughs> I could. <laughs> I want to be engulfed in a massive shiitake hug <laughs> down in Vegas on that uh, yeah. Saturday. So you know the narrative is out there. P- PK referenced it about the schedule wasn't tough last year. That's why yeah. they won. But I go back two. I don't really buy it because I go back two years and you're seven and six, and you beat USC at home, and you beat Tennessee, and I realize you win them both by, yeah. you know, I mean, it's like literally one play flips those games. But you win them, but then you have fourth quarter leads, and you lose at Toledo and South mm-hmm. Florida and Hawaii, and you get outscored. And the difference, I thought, and this goes back to PK's point about a program, not a season. When you had a running back to help kill games, you were good. You had a running back injury, and you didn't really have the depth to run the ball as effectively and just really dominate a fourth quarter physically that way. The O-line seems to have grown up over two years, and I know some guys have moved on to the pros there too, but do you think you have the O-line and the running back and the depth at those positions that when you have the fourth quarter lead, you can seal the deal? Because it wasn't the Power 5 programs that were giving you the problem. Yeah, it was it was uh, just we weren't um, as experienced and we weren't a complete team yet. We hadn't learned yet how to close out games, how to how to play full four quarters week to week, um, how to just make it through the grind of a season. I mean, the margin of error is small, and and um, you know South Florida, the South Floridas of the world. You know, last year Central Florida, Boise State, Houston, those types of teams are good. <laughs> Those teams are just as good as most of the Power 5 teams we're going to play. And so you have to be ready to play every week. And um, it took us a while to learn, I think, how to just, you know, be prepared to play every week, how to finish games. And uh, and then you're right. If you remember that Hawaii game, there was a critical third and two at the end of the game where we elected to throw a pass on third and two. I do and remember. And we were... Should have heard my language. I remember it. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 I think every coach Chris in our receive no less. Look, look, we we make we make mistakes. I think every coach in our staff wishes we would have run the ball there. We do, okay. And in fact, we had a run play called the play before. Uh, we had a run play called the play before, and there ended up being a timeout. And then we ended up we ended up uh, we we showed our we showed our play. The de- the defense saw the play as the timeout was being called, so we switched to a pass. 
it was a mistake. We, we, you know, I think all of us regret that. But at the time, you're right. We didn't have as much confidence then that we could just go run the ball and get two yards. We had issues at running back at the time. We were banged up at O-line. We hadn't built up the depth and the experience level that we have now. Um, and, you know, now if we're in that situation again, I think we'll have more options. Is that what it was as far as the program? Because uh, Kalani takes over. You weren't there at the beginning, but you've been here now a good number of years. And with BYU, whoever takes over that first class, well, we'll see you in three years, essentially, yeah. be able to get out on the field. Yeah. And and so now what? what is he going into his sixth year, I think? Yeah. Uh, and so is that where we're at And as far as, all right, the guys we recruited, the guys we identified, all that stuff, they're home now. And they're not just home, but they're home for over a year so they can get back into shape and all that stuff. How much is that contributing to the success of the program? It's just the longevity of it, given the unique nature of BYU with so many guys taking off. That is a big part of it. And part of that i got to give credit to Jeff Grimes. When he got here, he... Uh, he really established a culture of toughness. He, he, um, he was very demanding of our offense that we were, no matter what, win, lose, or draw, we were going to be a tough physical team and that the other team was going to feel us for the whole next week. And so he sort of, you know, he really established that. And then um, he also became, uh, he, he made our whole staff accountable as far as, our personnel goes so hey you're responsible for your position group and we're not going to make excuses about who recruited who uh, but now that we're th- you know I'm going into my fourth year most of the players we're coaching now are guys that we we recruited or guys that we know really well that we um, have had a chance to develop and teach in and and get to know and so we know what we're going to get when we put those guys on the field hey Rod we love chatting with you sorry your jazz got yeah. me like that that's our jazz buddy no, wait, they lost? Yeah, it's your jazz. <laughs> front, front runner. Brutal. So, you expect nothing less, though. So they're going to they're gonna win. They're going to go down to L.A. and win. I believe it. Yeah, see? Yeah. Calling it, baby. All right, A-Rod, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. Aaron Roderick, BYU Offensive Coordinator, joining us here on BYU Football Media Day. Elisa Tuiaki, defensive coordinator, is coming up next. Stay with us. Tomorrow. Do or die game. This is what I'm made of. This is for the throne and the kingdom. Oh, Donovan Mitchell. Do or die. Do it now if you believe it. The Utah Jazz. The L.A. Clippers. They'll show up for this game. Game six. The Jazz Live pregame show kicks off at seven with tip-off at eight. On your home for Utah Jazz basketball. 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK reminding you the top 60 and 60 is back in the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty will announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union. Icon Health and Fitness right here on the Zone Sports Network. All right, Joe Ingles is coming up at 9 o'clock. Jazz playoff talk with Joe Ingles at the top of the hour, but right now, BYU defensive coordinator Elisa Tuiaki joins us, Coach. Good to have you on the air again. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Appreciate you guys having me on. So I'm curious. I just read the 60 and 60 promo there. And I'm curious, uh, ranking the 60 best players in state, as a coach, we have always been stunned by coaches and their encyclopedic knowledge of recruiting. (laughs) PK running into one guy in a sandwich shop 
who looks like a college football player, says he's getting recruited. He comes up here, runs it by. Was it Kalani you ran it by? Yeah, it was yeah. Down, down in Manhattan Beach. Yeah, and Kalani knew exactly who the guy was and listened to whole things about him. Kalani, Even though he said he's going to end up going to another school. You guys school. were at Utah. Yeah, and I said something in passing a few years ago when I was hosting the Kyle Whittingham show about I think USC is going to lose a game, and Kyle says they will beat everybody. Oh, well, you know, unless they play Texas in a, in a bowl game. And sure enough, they play Texas in the Rose Bowl, and, and Vince Young beats them right at the end. And I'm amazed at how much everybody knows about all these kids and all these players. But with the transfer portal, it's like putting a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle in a box and just shaking it up every year. So do you still feel like you know all these guys and how they fit? Or does the transfer portal introduce an element of mystery to college football, to coaches that maybe didn't previously exist? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It, it certainly does add um, something different you know, to it where we've got to do a little bit more um, research into somebody that maybe regionally was, was somewhere else, just played in another conference that we didn't follow as closely, and then um, all of a sudden is, is, uh, is on our schedule. And, you know, we've got to do some research into those guys and kind of see what they did in their career and how they play, and, and uh, yeah, it certainly does add a little bit something else to it. So I remember several years ago, I think, I'm not positive, so I, don't, I can't vouch for it, but I'm pretty sure we were down at uh, Dixie High School. Remember you guys had that spring practice yeah. there? Yeah. And the uh, place was packed, shocked me. Fortunately, I had my wife drop me off, or else I would have had to park about five miles away. <laughs> There's so many people there that day. And so you guys do your thing. You have the practice, blah, blah, blah. And then, and I can remember everybody was around Sewell. He was the big kid now, well, you know, the offensive lineman. And I remember talking to you off to the side uh, an hour or so after then. And, and you told me, I, I'm pretty sure it was there. If not, it was up here. But anyway, you said, keep an eye on this Chris Wilcox. Now, he hadn't done jack, and he told me, he said, this guy's got NFL potential. And I'm thinking, defensive back, BYU, NFL potential? Normally you don't see that. Well, you were right. <laughs> you call, And you called it like four years ahead of time. So you obviously have an eye to be able to identify that. And the nature of college football is you're going to lose guys every year, and you, you guys lost guys, lost guys to the NFL. How do you feel about that high-level talent that maybe the rest of us don't know about, but you've already identified, given time and experience, can slide in and to be another Tonga, to be another Wilcox. Yeah, that there's a there's a lot of credit that goes to the to the uh, recruiting staff. Um, you know, uh, Coach Lamb, Coach Coach Guilford are the ones that recruited Chris. Um, they've got they've certainly got an eye for finding those kinds of kids that uh, you know kids that may be a little. Um, underdeveloped, uh, under-recruited, and uh, kids that come grateful to play here at BYU. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got a lot of kids that we're really excited for for this year. You know, we've, as you guys know, we've lost a lot of guys to the draft, and and uh, we're going to be young, but, but uh, we've got a really good team, and nice play. So because your schedule is, uh, as an independent is front-loaded with so many good opponents and other people try to kind of ease into things, I'm curious about how you try to build these guys up mentally. I mean, we know you got them in the weight room and, and you're watching film and you're coaching them on technique and all that, but until they believe they can do it, you, you don't usually do it. You know, the other guy might have a little more belief. How do you get young guys into that right away when your schedule tends to be difficult right away? 
Yeah, that, that that's a good question. I mean, um, it's it's hard to really get you get your team um, playing at the level that they should be without game experience, and there's really no no other substitution for for game experience. And so having having young guys, having guys that really haven't been on the field yet, um, you know, is 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 going to be a challenge be able to throw those guys into the fire but I think with so many of those guys that were really coming off the bench last year and and contributing and and uh you know being part of the success that we had last year and even the the years before that in some of the teams that we played has been huge for their their growth and development and they've they've been in in those spots at least on the sideline and kind of seeing how things have have gone and and uh what's expected of them and so you know that that'll certainly add to their growth and uh and their confidence coming into this year. So it's not just at BYU that you get guys that are under-recruited and develop them and help them that, that they f- mature and achieve what, what, what you believe they can do, because you do get some, some top-end talent that is viewed as top-end talent anyway coming out of high school. One of those guys is Chaz Ayu. And, you know, he was highly sought after. And he's been in and out of the lineup, moved positions, have injuries. Where are you guys at with him as far as him being able to get out on the field and start making some major contributions consistently? Yeah, th- this has got to be a really big year for him. I mean, we're, um, you know, we're because because we're young, because we don't have any, as many guys with experience. Um, we're we're asking a lot out of Chaz, and Chaz has always done a really good job in the past just answering the bell. We've moved him a bunch of different positions right. and knows what we're doing, and, and uh, there'll be a lot of demand on him this year to uh, to be a leader, to be a guy that steps up and, and really fills in some of those holes that that we've got to fill while we wait for some of the young guys to Where are you slotting them? Strong safety? Safety, yep. And that's going to be it? Depends on the game. Could end up moving them depending on, on what we've got. But, uh, you know, normally those guys that are playing safety, uh, rarely have we moved back to corner. We have done that with Diane. We've done it with uh, Troy, Troy. Um, depending on the game. But uh, most of those guys, when we move them, we move them back and forth from from that field backer where, where Fred Warner played back to safety. But we've got we've got a lot of good linebackers. I mean, that might be the strength of our defense as far as just the position group. And, uh, you know, we're really young at the safety spot. And so thinking that safety is going to be where he, he's, uh, he's at just uh, for the most part. You're playing five Pac-12 teams, and one of the Pac-12 analysts had a quote about, you know, the league and the league they, the success they need to have, and they can't go two and three against BYU in that. you got three Pac-12 teams right out of the gate. Is the D-line big enough and deep enough uh, for that challenge and, and ready to go? Do you have a lot of confidence in them? I do have a, have a lot of confidence in the D line. Um, have a lot of confidence in the depth. Um, we don't have a lot of game experience, and so the defensive end spots probably where most of the game experience is. is uh, I mean, we don't have very very much experience at the D end spot. We do have tackles that have played, and we've got five or six D tackles that I feel comfortable about. And you guys probably know that we rotate pretty deep just to keep those guys fresh for the majority of the year. Um, but uh, we're really young at the DN spot, and so there'll be a couple of guys that move around and try out and do some different things with some of the guys that have, have uh, you know, big-time players like Peyton Wilgar that have played both DN as well as backer and moved around, and Max Tooley as well, and we'll see how things go with that. Well, those are the two that I was going to hit when you just said you're really strong at linebacker, in my mind anyway, as I run through it without having the stats it seems like those two Wilgar and Tooley are your most experienced linebackers correct me if I'm wrong Keenan Peely's the other one I was going to go with Peely as far as that goes that's going to be the strength 
uh, of your linebacking core, but you rotate a little bit there and you may have some injuries. Uh, how deep are you be able to handle the responsibilities and what needs to be happening from the linebacker spot? Yeah, th- those those three guys that you've mentioned, I mean, they're, they've, uh, you know, game experience, just really, really good players, great co- uh, contributors, leaders on the team. And I think the rest of the backer group, um, there are a couple of guys that have a game experience, but it's a lot like the D-line where we feel really good about the personnel, feel really good about the direction that we're going with that, but not as much game experience with some of those younger backers. And and uh, we're going to rely heavily on, on that veteran group to really guide and teach and, and get those other guys caught up. A couple of those Brighton guys. I don't know if I can trust them, though. I don't know about those Brighton guys. <laughs> you know what? The, the Reno Mahe, the worst Brighton guy. That's oh, one of the go. hardest guys right there to trust. <laughs> no, Reno's, Reno's a great guy. He's no Brian Keel. <laughs> <laughs> Elisa Tuiaki joining us, BYU defensive coordinator. Uh, obviously, uh, PK's Sun Devils delivered a uh, beating at the end of the year, and they hit reset on that program down there. How much do you know about Arizona and what you're going to face in the opener? Been, been uh, you know, obviously doing all the, the research that we need to and watching film, and it's always tough when you're facing a new opponent that has new coordinators, new head coach, and all that stuff, and really just kind of looking into their personnel and watching their spring game and doing all the things that we can. Um, you know, there's this. It's one of those deals where it's you wish you had you had more information. You wish you had more film, and that game's coming, ready or not. And so we're uh, we're geeked up about the opportunity to play in Vegas and and uh, play them again and and uh, see where things go. Last year was the craziest season you'll ever have. I'm I'm, I'm confident in saying that with all yeah. the circumstances, right? We'll probably never, hopefully anyway, go through something like that. And the West wasn't playing, and you guys were charging on. We know the whole story. And you go 11-1, and one, and we know the controversy surrounding it. The supporters say we had a good team. Look at the NFL guys gotten drafted. The detractors. Uh, and, and we know which school they attend, but we won't say it. Uh, that, uh, yeah, well, the schedule, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to blow it up any, uh, and maybe it's overstating it, uh, but how important is it to the team and to the program to follow it up, to show, and maybe you're not even thinking of this, that, but that, and in my mind, maybe to show last year really wasn't a fluke. It was a combination and a culmination of having a lot of guys that were young in the program and making their way to be mature. So you had that success. And so now if you follow it up, we're like, see, we told you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, if, if we could try to attempt an encore with all those guys back, I think that would be that would be a fair challenge, you know, getting getting a quarterback back and all those players that left. But you know, it's it's a new team. It's a new team. There's new storylines. There's new kids stepping up. Um, you know, we're we're excited, excited. Like I said, just about the the player and the personnel that we have. It's just it's uh it's going to be a lot different than than it was last year, just because different kids with less experience. Sure, but everybody wants you to win. Yeah, I mean uh, the the names and change the change, but the 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 goals the and the expectations and all that stuff, absolutely. And there and we've got high expectations for ourselves. You know, I don't want to get on here and start making promises and all that stuff. I mean, there's um, I I don't you know the fans talk about how many games you should win or lose and all that stuff, but I don't think you ever go into any team's locker room and. Uh, and ask them and, and, and get the same answers. I mean, nobody's going to say Nobody in your locker room is going to say, well, we think we can beat these guys and these guys, and, you know, probably if six and six would be great. I mean, nobody talks like that in any locker room, even if, you know, that 
new team like Arizona with a new staff and all that stuff. And then coming off that, people are just are confident. People set their goals high, and, and everybody wants to go undefeated. And obviously, uh, very many teams rarely do. But we're we're confident. We're we're excited. We're excited for the challenge, and we'll see how things go. Well, we'll give you a couple slip ups, maybe ten. What do you think, DJ? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious how many of the guys, how much it changes, though, that even though some of the big names and some of the guys who really produced are gone, there are still guys back who started. There are guys who got a lot of snaps, even though they didn't start. And there's something about, you know, whether you're up a score or down a score, you just score and take the lead, or you give up a score and you fall behind. When you've been a winning program, guys tend to sit there and think, okay, this is what we're going to do to win the game. And when you haven't been and you're coming off three and five win seasons, guys can be like, oh, boy, we're close. I wonder, I wonder if we can do it. And when you wonder if you can do it or if you wonder if something's going to go wrong, well, then it usually does go wrong. And so even though these are different guys, you know, is the winning a little bit of contagious and some of the stuff hangs over a little bit? Yeah, it does. The team is really confident about uh about our performance and you know obviously we'd we'd play anybody anywhere anytime and all that stuff but uh you know so we have enough guys on the team from last year that were a part of um or, uh, guys on the team this year that were a part of last year that uh confidence is high the expectations high uh we put a lot of expectations on ourselves and the players players do that themselves how much i don't know if easier is the right word but better are you able to recruit knowing that now you have a foundation on which you can present to these recruits. It's not like a, a dream or what have you. It's actually there. All you guys now, large portion of you have been together, particularly on the defensive side, for a number of years, and you have some success. So you can go out and say, see, this is what we got going. It, it, uh, <clears throat> it's helped. It's helped for sure. There's, there's a lot more kids that are uh... – that we have their ears, you know, in recruiting that uh, maybe in the past just uh, did, didn't give the time of day. Um, I, it's it's a hard balancing act where, you know, you, you start to feel like you're kind of getting into different uh, class of kids that you're recruiting, but also still trying to keep your niche where, where you know, we, we recruit a certain type of kid, the yeah. kid that is really looking for the challenge that BYU gives them and, and uh, you know, not, not feeling like we're, Trying to trying to chase uh, chase kids around because those kids just don't end up end up making it here, and so right. we've just got to keep uh, you know keep our niche as well as um, enjoy some of the some of the the kids that are starting to come to us because of the success. I don't want you. Uh, I don't want to think that I'm asking you to speak for uh, you know Tom or the school or Kalani or whoever. Just you personally, when you see this talk about. Uh, 12 team playoff and six conference champs in and then the next six best teams you, and I know it's a long way away because coaches you got to worry about the Arizona opener and this is probably three years down the line or whatever but do you get a little excited about that that BYU is an independent it just looks like access would be opened up and it would still be hard but it wouldn't be impossible yeah no doubt I mean that's just obvious obviously just speaking for myself kind of when it comes to, to that portion of just the game um i'm a fan and i don't i don't have any say in what's going on and i'm kind of dreaming big and just wondering what could happen here and there and certainly uh sounds like um a lot a lot of different options you know for for uh, an independent school and being able to put together a good schedule and play some good teams and have a chance to go play at it i go down to pac 12 media day every year 
and uh, you can always see, we talk to every coach, obviously, right? And you see David Shaw approaching our station, and he's seen the same faces, me, Hans Olsen. We're down there every year. We've been down there every year. And it's like he starts smiling because as he's approaching, he knows, hey, I'm getting some free airtime in a place that I recruit heavily. And he once told me off the air, he said, you tell those people at Utah I'm coming there and I'm coming often. And he's got so many return missionaries. I mean, he, you'd think he was a brother, the way he talks the language, you know. <laughs> I want these guys to come. They're, they serve all over the world. They add so much to our program, blah, blah, blah. So my thought for you on that recruiting is you're getting some opportunities to expand it. But at the same time, those kids that are normally your bread and butter are getting opportunities because at least in the West, the word is out that, okay, we get the mission program and we're not intimidated by it and we'll wait. And, you know, they got a quarterback up there. We'll see what happens. And they got several other guys. So how much more difficult it is now as far as the competition because so many programs – they are willing to deal with it. I don't. I don't know how many more programs are. I know there's a lot of kids that we end up, uh, you know, recruiting that uh, were other other schools are on early, and then as soon as they start to hear the mission, everyone's kind of running away. And so I think it's, you know, you you've only got a couple of those schools that are out there. Obviously, the in-state schools and yeah. some, you know, a couple of others. And I think uh, it's all just most most of these teams. It's all relative to how good the player is, or at least at least how good they think he so is. So if you're a ten, they'll wait. Yeah, if they're a ten, absolutely <laughs> everybody will. Right? And uh, you know, if they think that they can replace with somebody, it's a little bit uh, that won't be going and and contribute a little bit sooner than they than they than they don't. But I think you know our, those uh, offensive linemen that have gone uh, gone up to Oregon in the last couple of years and. Um, I mean, I think every single team in the country would wait for those guys to go on a mission. I think it's all, all relative in how you look at those kids. Yeah. What have you done for me lately? And how quick can you do something for me again? Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, Lysa, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate you guys having me on. All right. Looking forward to that game in Las Vegas to kick it off. It's BYU and Arizona to open the season. Elisa Tuiaki, defensive coordinator at BYU. Join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles is coming up in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30. Presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON on your home of the the best college football coverage in Utah. 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. One of heavy metal's all-time greats, Judas Priest, will celebrate their 50th anniversary this year with the launch of a North American tour this fall. The 50 Heavy Metal Years Tour, sponsored by Live Nation. Tickets are available at AXS.com or the AXS app. We have a pair to give away to Caller 12 right now. At 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. Judas Priest. 50 years, PK. Who saw that coming? Well, I got a little crunch bar in my mouth, so I didn't see you coming asking me that. Okay, never mind then. Move <laughs> along. It's a concert. I thought, thought I'd hit you up there. My bad. Judas Priest, huh? 50 years? 50. Just- the Big 5-0, the Golden Anniversary Tour. 
they probably didn't even see themselves getting to age 50. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, what was considered rebel bands and, you know, bleep the world and all this stuff. Well, all of us get there. At least I think all of us would want to get there uh, of being a little older and uh, you still got it. I just thought if somebody's going to pay for you, pay you to play music, why would you stop? You wouldn't. Yeah. You're having a good time, and you got 10,000 fans who are having a good time, or 20 or 50 or 100. But, you know, if you can fill some 10,000-seat arena, what's the decision? Even if you're 70 or 75 or whatever What's the decision? If you're having a good time and you're getting paid. No, I know. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it seemed like, you know, when rock was born, it was rebel music. Yeah, it does. And and, and now. Against your parents. and Yes. But you said that about rap. How can you be this rebel and this underdog and the the man's keeping you down and and you're on tour making millions? You're crushing it. It'll be the same thing. I don't know. Really? We won't be here, so we'll be. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know because how you can do it. And my parents' generation and, looked and thought, well, how how can they? I can remember my grandmother. Ripping Frank Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yes. And I once said, I, I remember, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like 10 years old now. Frank mm. Sinatra, my mother just worshipped him. And my father, they went to a, I actually saw Frank Sinatra a few times. They would take me along, right? So, I, I mean, I grew up on him. And obviously, he's an Italian from Jersey. That's what my mother was, and that's right. what I am partially. And uh, so we just worshipped him. And they actually met him. They went to uh, Jilly's in New York after a show, and he was in there eating. And my father went, uh, excuse me, Mr. Sinatra, I would like to introduce you to my wife. And I only heard that story five, five trillion times. So I'm gone now, and it's Father's Day, so I wish I could hear one more. <laughs> but uh, I went to ask my mother, I said, why is <clears throat> why's grandma why is she so again he's an italian from jersey that's exactly what she that's where she was born my, <clears throat> excuse me my grandfather was born in italy but she was born in jersey but nonetheless she uh it got her roiled up <clears throat> yeah and she had my mother said oh that's because he he divorced his first wife and you don't do that in the catholic church blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay there it is <laughs> but to her to my grandmother frank sinatra was a rebel to us although by the time i came of age Rock and roll, you weren't really, it wasn't really viewed as rebelish, though. It had gone more mainstream, but yeah. it was still. I mean, I'm an Eagles guy, and I didn't really view that's them minim- as. That's minimal rebel there, yes. <laughs> it was about the music, not about the message of turn against right. mainstream. Maybe it was early. My, now, my sisters, they're older than me. They, oh, boy, they were radical. Now, my one sister was Motown big time, but my other sister was all about the Stones and the Beatles. And now Motown is old, but then Motown was radical. Uh, So it's just generational, and we just, the perspective changes. But I never viewed my music as radical. I viewed my music as something that I enjoy. I wasn't interested in the social message. Maybe that's why I don't get worked up when these athletes have their social message. That's not what you get out of your entertainment. Right. And yet other other people do. And that's their call, and other people get turned off by it. I necessarily don't get turned off by it i just turn it off so if it's there but i'm not paying attention to it it can't bug me if it were to bug me if i was bugged by it 
to kind of conjugate the word bug there. So let me kill one bug there. Okay, that's with, good. With two stones? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got the Facebook question up. We're going to talk with Joe Ingles here in a second. Uh, and the question, of course, is, well, <laughs> after, after game five, what can you say about that one? And there are a lot of people lining up with the Jazz just aren't good enough. Now, I read you some of the ones earlier about the referee. Not true. Not true. (laughs) And you love those. Um, Tammy, every year it's the same old story. No matter what it is, it never changes. All the haters calling the Jazz overrated this season, they're correct, Scott says. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Champions win when they have to, Kevin says. Clippers Clippers are champions. Well, I thought that's not what I expected you to say. I thought you would say that's win number three, and it's important, but it's not the one you have to have. It's not the loss that ends it, and no. it's not the win that advances you. Now, it's 2-2, so you want to win. Oh, of course you want to win. It's and they were at game. home, it's and they didn't, game. and Kawhi Leonard was out, and we know and the story. And you should have won. Yeah, I, the circumstances would dictate that you should have won. If I, I, if I just had that. to go to one thing, and we can talk to Joe about this, defensively, their inability to stay in front of people. I think that's what created the wide-open shots that bug people, and it's a little bit of what you talk about, about that will to win. You know, they're just putting their head down. I am getting by you. I am. I am getting by you. And breaking the paint and putting pressure on the defense and creating open threes and all that. And, and the Clippers, actually, during the regular season, they shot the three at a higher percentage than the Jazz. And, man, did they make some big threes in that game. All true. All right, when we come back, we'll run all this past Joe Ingles, get his take on it. Stay with us.